I want to echo what was already said, that this topic of abortion is often very painful for those who have had to consider this decision and for those who have helped them make it. As you've heard, this is likely many people here. I honor you. Let's start not by talking about abortion, but about a youngster with cancer who needs a bone marrow transplant for a chance to live and grow up. It has to be tissue that matches, and that match has been hard to find. His mother's tissue does not match. He has no siblings, and the public pleas have not produced the needed donor. Desperate, his mother contacts the child's estranged father to ask if he will be tested, a mere pinprick of a blood test, to save the life of his own son. The father refuses. The mother sues him. His, her son, his son, has a right to life, she says. A pinprick is nothing. This is a hypothetical story, but there have been similar cases taken to court by dying people who need only a little blood or a lot, a kidney say, so that they can exercise their human right to life. And in every case, the court turns them down. It's true that we have a right to life, you see, but that does not give us automatic claims on other human beings. A human being also has the right to freedom. It's one of the things that makes us what we are. And it seems, in a court of law, that the very first thing that the right of freedom means is that the means that a person is free to give or refuse to give the use of their body as they see fit. To require by law a reluctant father to give so much of a, as a drop of blood to his son or anybody else, even to save their life, would be to require a kind of servitude that can only be called slavery. So such donations of one's body cannot be required. They may only be given freely in love. Our clarity about this is so strong that one of the roles of a transplant center that uses living donors, say when a brother agrees to give a kidney to his ailing sister, is to ascertain that the brother really, really wants to do this, that he has not been coerced in any way, that his gift is freely made, that no guilt-tripping or messy family politics has colored his decision. So he will talk to a psychologist. He will be offered a face-saving way out. Measures will be taken to protect his freedom. And I imagine that we all think that those are important safeguards of a person's freedom. Human life is important, but not if bought with another's servitude. These kinds of donations of blood, of bone marrow, of organs happen all the time and are often the subject of heartwarming stories in the good news column. And any as good news, they are. Love wins. A life is saved. But for all our enthusiasm about such stories, there is no enthusiasm at all for laws requiring organ donations to save lives. And as a matter of fact, about 17 people die in this nation every day 
because the organs and tissues they need are not freely available and no one can be required to make those donations. It's very clear to us that to require people to make that sacrifice, to force them to give over a part of their body to the use of another would be to legislate a kind of slavery. Our sensibilities on this subject keep us from even making organ donation after death mandatory, as it is in some nations. This principle is very clear, I should say, until the subject is a pregnant woman and the developing fetus who needs to use her body to continue in life. You see the analogy, don't you? Whether we judge that a fetus is a full human being as right to lifers do, or as a potential human being as most pro-choicers do, it cannot be reasonably judged to have more rights than the cancer-stricken child whose father can't see his way clear to giving a bit of bone marrow to his own son. But a large percentage of the people of this nation believe that the pregnant woman should be forced to continue a pregnancy she doesn't want with its considerable inconveniences, violations, pain, and danger for nine long months. Pregnancy is a far more profound sharing of one's body with another human being than a bone marrow or even a kidney donation. It changes one's body forever. And beginning soon after conception and amping up for nine long months, evolution has arranged to pour hormones into the pregnant woman's body to bond her to that baby so that she will care for it in spite of the fact that it has caused her such discomfort and pain. Women's bodies and hearts are changed by pregnancy forever. Those who think that abortion should be mostly or always illegal will tell you that my right to freedom does not extend to the right to kill. But if that was true in this nation, then I would not be permitted to shoot the thief who comes into my house and threatens to harm me, which I am permitted to do in most states. They will say that if a woman has sex with a man, she has in effect invited the intruder into her body and she should live with the consequences. This is the mostly unconscious reasoning behind laws that would allow abortion in cases of rape. They seem humane on the surface, but they hide behind assumptions that almost no one in this nation shares anymore, even if their religion teaches them which is why Catholic and evangelical women and their partners use birth control and resort to abortion in the same proportions as the population as a whole. Those assumptions that no one shares, that responsible women can avoid pregnancy with only a small cost to herself, that rape does not result in pregnancy, that once a couple is married, they will naturally welcome pregnancy whenever it comes and this abortion problem would be solved with abstinence and early marriage, and so on. We liberals have a high old time chastising legislatures who claim that rape does not result in pregnancy. But I have heard more than a few well-educated liberals proclaim that responsible women can avoid pregnancy with only a small cost to herself. So I am well aware of the perversity of the ignorance of patriarchy about women's lives and bodies. Most people don't understand statistics, and if you're one of them, then let me tell you that while it sounds good that the best birth control methods, which use perfectly 
Are you perfect? I'm not perfect. Are 99% effective? That means that if 100 women use this method for a year, only one will become pregnant. Given the millions of women who use these very effective methods, that's a lot of pregnancy. That's a lot of slavery. And anything that has a 1% chance of disaster every year you use it is, in 35 years, all too likely to cause a disaster to you. Which is why nearly half of women experience an unwanted pregnancy during their fertile years, and one in four resort to abortion. And most of those believe for the rest of their lives that they were morally justified in doing so. I mean, after all, there are some things that should only be given if they can be given in love. Abortion is a very old human problem. The desire or need for a woman not to share her body with a developing fetus can be strong enough, as you heard in the reading, for them to be willing to risk death to be free. But unlike the hero man who shoots the intruder who threatens his family, the woman who resorts to abortion has, through human history, been a villain and those who would help her, witches. Now it is true that through most of the human sojourn on this planet, our species was endangered and in need of every live birth and every fertile woman it could produce. And it is true that until these last hundred years or so, abortion was so dangerous that it couldn't possibly have been left on the open market for any woman to try. And it is true that until the development of latex for condoms and medicine for birth control, the only options for preventing unwanted pregnancy were so strenuous for her and for her partner that pregnancy was considered an inevitable part of a woman's life. It's also true that males took advantage of the fact that most adult women were seriously hampered through most of their lives by pregnancy or the threat of it, that they set themselves up on the top of the human hierarchy and set out to control women. That's the patriarchy. We've got to be clear about this. Patriarchy is not about men's greater muscle mass or hunting prowess. It is about how the males of the species took advantage of the disabilities of pregnancy, a more or less lifetime condition for women through most of the history of our species. And it is the patriarchy, which is not just held up by men, by the way, which has understood that the issue of abortion is a linchpin for the fight for women's equality. If abortion becomes pretty much unavailable to all but the rich, who have always been able to partake in it, the well-connected, and the desperate willing to take terrible risks, women will not have equal rights, equal opportunities, or equality under the law. And we're not just talking about mandatory pregnancy. We are talking about mandatory motherhood. Because Mother Nature is very adept at bonding women to their babies in the last months of pregnancies. Those who say, oh, just put the baby up for adoption and go on with your life are ignorant of the psychology of pregnancy. And anybody who uses the word just, meaning no big deal, is ignorant about pregnancy and childbirth. 
If you bring a baby to term, you're a mother. And even if you make a choice to give that baby up for adoption, and let's be clear, that a 50-year-old married working woman would probably not feel she had that choice, you're still a mother. Your body and brain changed forever. If all goes well, you will muster the resources to love this intruder into your life. At the same time, your psyche will be seared by the knowledge that you were forced against your will to bear this baby and derail your life's plans, a triumph of the patriarchy. But what of the babies who lose their lives? The ones we see in those beautiful ultrasounds of late pregnancies, big-eyed and kicking, sucking their thumbs in their little spaceship wombs. Nurturing these helpless creatures goes to the core of who we are as human beings. This tiny, helpless human thing. Maybe not a human being yet, but clearly human potential. Take your philosophical pick. It's not going to matter in the end. You'll see. But what we want to preserve in humanity, that impulse to care, to protect, that's a good thing. Let me say what I hope you all know, that virtually all abortions happen long before the fetus is old enough to kick or hear or suck their thumb. Most of those abortions that happen later are shot through with social tragedy. Girls too young, or who have been kept ignorant and fearful of their bodies. Those who had to delay the abortion because state legislators had made it too hard. Those who had to wait for their next paycheck to pay the bus ticket or, buy, or the bill. Virtually all third trimester abortions, and there are very few, happen only when there has been some sort of life-altering medical emergency, and the pregnancy has already turned into a tragedy. But still, there's something infinitely precious here besides women's freedom. Of course, the oft-overlooked inconvenient truth in the abortion debate is that those achingly beautiful, infinitely precious creatures are not floating around in little spaceships. They're floating around in somebody's body. And whatever we want to say about the right to life that a fetus has by virtue of its humanity, its potential, its innocence, or its genes, it does not have the right to commandeer someone else's body. Because human beings, we have no doubt about the humanity or human rights of the pregnant women, do we? Human beings have a right to their own bodily integrity, the right to privacy, as the Supreme Court rather clumsily put it. This right to privacy, to bodily integrity, to choose who gets to use one's body is fundamental to freedom. Every patient who dies awaiting an organ transplant, and plenty do, dies because they cannot commandeer another person's body, not even a drop of their blood. And that's why all this rhetoric about when human life begins is a big red herring. Doesn't matter when human life begins. Whatever you think a fetus is, it doesn't have the right to use someone else's body, even though it will die without that use. Interestingly, Roe v. Wade, now 50 years old, was an attempt to parse the minefield between requiring women to donate their bodies to a developing fetus 
unwilling, and a society's interest in not participating in the killing of what looks and feels like an infant. That's why in the first trimester, the state can't forbid abortion. In the second trimester, when it used to be a more fraught medical procedure, a state can regulate abortion for the sake of a woman's health and safety only. But during the third trimester, abortion can be forbidden in all but the most dire circumstances. It was a way of valuing both human life and human freedom, parsing the way between two values that we all cherish, but which in this situation clash. It was also a decisive blow to the patriarchy. The controversy and movement to abolish Roe has shaped America in terrible ways over the last generation. Sometime next year, the Supreme Court will rule on some of the extreme measures that some state legislatures have been taking lately to restrict the ability of an unwillingly pregnant woman to decline to share her body with a fetus that she did not invite and doesn't want. Measures which violate the nearly 50-year-old decision Roe v. Wade. There are some who fear that the right majority court will take this opportunity to gut or overturn Roe v. Wade, giving states the complete authority over abortion and allowing states to make women subject to servitude. Nobody thinks this is impossible. Many think it's unlikely, though. In this group, it's like most groups I've presented this way to thinking about abortion to Many of you have never really thought of abortion in such stark terms as the clash of two absolute rights, the right to life and the right to liberty. There's no way the Supreme Court can get around this, though, because Roe has already raised and parsed these issues. There's no way that the court can get around the fact that the prohibition of abortion is the legalization of a kind of intimate servitude, kind of slavery, that only one class of citizens would be ever subjected to, and a kind of forced service which, instead of protecting the general good, as, say, military conscription does, produces instead many negative effects, not only on those whose lives are disrupted, but on society at large. Well, we've been through some hard things together in these last few minutes. In these last 50 years, the end is not in sight. The free and responsible search for truth and meaning is not always a pleasant or easy one. I honor you for sticking with me. I wish I could be with you to hear your response. And especially I would like to hear the stories of, let's say, a quarter of you, though it's probably more, who've been part of a decision making about an unwelcome pregnancy and who hold that usually very privately in your heart, even among friends. Be gentle with dear, each other, dear ones, and be at peace. <laughs>